towards the end of the chapter, verse 14, is where we're going to start our reading today. And we're going to read through into chapter 4 and verse 7. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completely had completed the crossing on dry ground. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the, of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Please keep your Bible open there. I wonder if you've ever come across this gentleman before, the big river man as he's known. His name is Martin Strel and uh, he's a Slovenian who uh, is an endurance swimmer, an endurance swimmer. And in his life, uh, he suffered a lot while he was a child, and one of his escapes was swimming. He would uh, uh, jump into even freezing cold rivers to go swimming, great strength. And you wouldn't look at him and think he's a, a very fit man, because uh, he's a little bit like me, he's overweight and so on, but he is probably the world's greatest endurance swimmer. And he has, has some real uh, uh, amazing achievements to add to his list. For instance, he swam his native t- uh, country's Kirka River, which is 65 miles. He swam that in 28 hours. Uh, Then he felt he needed a bigger challenge, so he swam the Danube, uh, 
1,867 miles, spread out over days, uh, but and not with months in between, you know, get up the next morning and carry on the next swim, that sort of thing. Then he decided he wanted a bigger challenge, so he swam the Mississippi, one, uh, 2,359 miles. Then a bigger challenge was to go to China and swim Oh, I've got those the wrong way around there, haven't I? The Yangtze River, 2,489 miles. And his last big swim was to swim the Amazon. And he swam it for, with 3,274 miles, enduring attacks from piranhas, snakes, crocodiles, you name it, all in the waters uh, around him. And uh, what a, 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 an achievement that is. But you know, there's a big difference between his type of swimming and these people swimming. These are people from Mexico who are swimming to get across to America, to escape into a new world to live. And you can see all that foam in the water. That's not a nice river they're swimming in. In fact, it's probably the most polluted river in America. It's called the New River uh, because it was an artificial river that was dug, I believe, for irrigation from, uh, by farmers. Uh, but unfortunately, companies have used it as a dumping ground for toxic waste and sewage. And you, you'll find signs up warning not to go in this river because people who go in that river, it's guaranteed they become ill and they are con- they're contaminated. They will carry that disease to other people as well. And uh, uh, it's a very dangerous thing. But every single day... The people along the border, the border controls there, they see people swimming across that river with their clothes in, uh, in bin liners to get to the other side, to get to a new world, a new home for their lives. They count the cost worth it for getting into a new world. Well, what a difference between those two types of swimmers. And I guess the type we're more connecting with this morning is the latter because we're talking about people who are going to cross to get to the other side, to a new world, a new life. We're talking about the children of Israel crossing the River Jordan in what is now the land of Israel, but as it was then, the land of Canaan. As God had guided them in the book of Deuteronomy, this is what they were to do to get into the promised land. And uh, the Jordan is the river that comes right down the Jordan Rift Valley. There it is there. Uh, It's the lowest part of the earth's surface. And it starts off really way back in Africa and comes down right the way through to uh, up to the the Galilee area. And uh, it is a a river which, naturally speaking, you wouldn't say is one of the mightiest rivers. But at this time of the year, when it happened, it was in full flood water, as we see, which meant uh, the river was wider and deeper and more treacherous for crossing. And it was a, a massive thing that they crossed that river to get into the new land that God was taking them to, the land of Canaan. If you want to see what it looks like geographically, that's what it would look like if you see it uh, in a topographical map where they come off, uh, come across. They'd come out of the land of Egypt and they'd come out uh, from, uh, from, from the wilderness and they were coming now from the plains of Moab here to come into 
the plains around Jericho on the opposite side. And we read that they crossed opposite Jericho. So the people in Jericho would have seen. And this is a, 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 one of the great miracles that God did for the children of Israel at the birth of the nation. He did a similar one when they came out of Egypt and he opened the Red Sea for them to go across. That was an exit. Well, this was an entrance and they were going to have the River Jordan open up for them to come across into this promised land. And I want us to look at this this morning because although it's, it's a wonderful story in its right own right to consider uh, as a great miracle, it is also a great gospel picture because it's a picture of us crossing over into eternal life in Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in John chapter 5 verse 24, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word, that's the Lord Jesus speaking. And believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. And uh, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 19 and 20, we were able to, we realize that we're able to come to God now by a new and living way opened up for us by the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what this is going to be a picture of as we look at it today. It's a picture of us coming into eternal life, the, the beginning of our heavenly life as believers as we cross over. This is, this is what is taught in many of our great hymns. You know, Jordan is like a picture of death and uh, it's, it's heaven, the promised land is on the other side and Christ has opened the way for us to come. So having had communion this morning, I want us to consider this as a, a gospel message, but also for our encouragement and contemplation. We're talking about crossing the river as the Lord Jesus has opened the way for us. And we want to look at it under three headings this morning. The miracle, the moment and the memorial. So first of all, the miracle itself. In verse 14, we read, So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the river of Jordan, as I said, is a river of death. That's really what it, it is a picture of. The name Jordan um, is, it comes from a Hebrew word, Yarad, which means the descender. Because it comes down uh, from the mountain, Mount Hermon, as the snow waters on Mount Hermon melt, it comes down right down to the Dead Sea. So it becomes a picture of death in the Bible. Interestingly, that's where the Lord Jesus was baptized, you remember, in the River Jordan, the Jordan River that uh, leads down to death. And that was a picture of his saving work to come. As, as we have Christ's memorial for us in baptism. But uh, the miracle itself was facilitated through the Ark of the Covenant and the priest. Now, what is the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant, if you don't already know, is this sacred box to the Jewish people. It's a golden box made out of acacia wood and then covered in gold. And it was two parts. It was the box itself, which contained the Ten Commandments, uh, the rod that budded from Aaron's contest with the other men who said they wanted to be the priest, and also the jar of manna inside, the golden jar of manna. Uh, but this box was symbolic of being God's throne. 
It wasn't just any old box. It was God's throne. That's how it was viewed by the children of Israel. And when it was in the tabernacle, it was where God's presence was over the ark. And uh, this is where they brought their sacrifices, the blood of the sacrifices, actually inside the tabernacle or temple and actually to the ark of the covenant. Because you see, the lid of the ark of the covenant uh, is called the mercy seat. That's why I say it's, it's called a, uh, his throne. And they put the blood on the floor where his feet would be, as we would say, at the footstool. And they put the blood on the top. And so this wouldn't have looked as shiny as it does. It, would, it does in my picture. It would have had blood stains on it, dried blood. And that's symbolic, I think, uh, in a moment when we're talking about the cross uh, being part of this miracle. And the ark was carried by four priests when Israel was on their wilderness journeys. These, we're told from the book of Numbers, were to be from the tribe of Kohath. The Kohathites carried the ark. And in this miracle, this is exactly what happens. The priests carry the Ark of the Covenant uh, ahead of the Jewish people. They carry them a distance of 2,000 cubits, we read from back in verse 4. If you look at the footnotes in verse 4, 2,000 cubits. It always reminds me there of the 2,000 years, of course, for us since Christ died. But they carried the ark uh, 2,000 cubits ahead of the people so they could see it down into the Jordan River. And it was an amazing thing because what happened in verse 15, it says, Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, and that's when the miracle happened. So the priests put their feet into the River Jordan. Unlike at the Red Sea, where the water opened up before anybody put their foot through, uh, this was a test of their faith. If they believed in the Lord, uh, they would have put their faith into the water and the, red, and the Jordan then opened up. And it was uh, a, a miracle that was facilitated through the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark is used for this very purpose in Israel's story. You realize every ark in the Bible has been used to save people from flood water. Think of the first ark in the book of Genesis, Noah's ark. It's an obvious example, isn't it? To save Noah and his family, eight souls, uh, says Peter, uh, from the flood waters. The second ark is like it, but a lot smaller. It's Moses' ark, the bulrushes, the, bo- the little boat made out of bulrushes and coated in tar and pitch, just like Noah's ark, for keeping Moses alive when he was hidden in the river Nile. Uh, and that was the ark that protected him. The third one you may not know, but it is Joseph's coffin. In Hebrew, the word is for the ark. And when they crossed through the river, the, the Red Sea, they carried Joseph's coffin. And that actually was one of the first things in the parade as they went through because uh, they collected Joseph's bones to be buried in, e- in the promised land out of Egypt. And this was the final one, the one which was used for this miracle to open up the way through the Red Sea. And it was a tremendous miracle. Uh, As soon as their feet touched the water's edge, the Bible says in verse 16 that the water from upstream stopped flowing. 
The Septuagint translation of the Old Testament says it stood still as a single solid heap stood apart very, very far off. And uh, it was an amazing miracle. It happened that it was, it was as if God put his hand there and made an invisible dam to stop the waters flowing down the river anymore so the people could cross safely on dry ground. Twice we're told that in verse 17. It was on dry ground, which is evidence it was a miracle. I'm going to say this because uh, uh, the River Jordan has actually dammed itself on at least three occasions that we know of. In 1267 AD, uh, the banks of the Jordan collapsed in and caused uh, a temporary dam for 16 hours. In 1906 it happened and in 1927 when Israel had their last earthquake, it happened again for 21 hours. Now this was a miracle because where we see it happened, it happened at a place, we're told in verse 16, called Adam, in the vicinity of Zarathan. If you look again on a map, that's much further back up. And there are other tributaries that lead into the Jordan, which could have kept the waters flowing uh, if it had been just you know, the walls collapsing. This was a supernatural act of God. And it was a miracle that God was doing for his people. The, the, it, the, the miracle didn't just happen at any old time of the year. As we read, it happened in the flood season. When at Passover time, it was at its deepest. In fact, this is a very interesting thing. In, commenta- in the commentaries, there's uh, a thought that the people in Jericho, when they heard the children of Israel were coming, there would have been a bit of relief to have thought, well, the waters are in flood, so we've got a barrier here. And if they're going to have to go all the way up and then back down the other side of Canaan to get to us, that's going to be a lot longer uh, than if they were to come across as they could normally do uh, in, in shallower waters. So we have a bit of defense here. But you remember what Rahab said. We have heard what your God did at the Red Sea. <laughs> and so those who, who understood, they realized that ain't going to keep them back. <laughs> that ain't going to keep them back. And the Lord is going to open a way. I believe she believed in faith uh, that that was going to happen before it did. And when the priests put their feet into Jordan's muddy waters, the Lord did a great miracle. He stopped it. And uh, the, the psalmist said in Psalm 114, it, the Jordan turned back. Uh, it did a U-chart turn when it saw God, its maker, standing, holding it back. John Owen said in his commentary, the waters knew their maker. And that's exactly true. But all this becomes a beautiful picture of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because how is it that we're able to enter into eternal life? How is it we're able to enter the promised land of heaven? It is because one has gone into Jordan for us. One has entered into death and said, I'm going to hold it back so you can cross over on dry ground. I'm going to pay the price so you don't have to. And the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross and he died for our sins and opened up that new and living way. And you know, I love the fact for, that in this story, where did the waters go back to? It went back to Adam. 
Think about that. (laughs) Think of the significance of that. Where does our problem come from? It comes from Adam in Genesis. It's like the river of death has flowed down through humanity from its fountainhead in Adam's own heart when he sinned against the Lord. Romans chapter 5. But the Lord Jesus, he pushed back the waters of death and said, I'm going to open a way for you to come across. I just want you to see what a great miracle God has done for us in the saving work of our Savior uh, today. You know, we, we look at these things in the Bible and we think, oh, it's so amazing. I'd love that to have happened in my lifetime. I'd love to have seen that. Brothers and sisters, a greater miracle has happened. God has opened a way through the river of death for you and me to enter the promised land to get to heaven safely by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And just as that ark went in with the blood on it, so Christ's blood is what saves us from God's judgment coming upon us so we can enter the promised land. What a mighty miracle God has done. But I want you to see, in the, in, in, and by the way, that's probably what it would have looked like. That's a picture I forgot to show. But the second thing I want you to see here is the moment, okay? Because in verse 17, we see something compelling. It says, The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. And what I want to draw your attention to is a little word there, the word until. Until. They... This miracle wasn't something that happened where God just turned back a river and and said, well, from now on, it's never going to flow this way again. This was a temporary opportunity for the children of Israel. And if they wanted to enter the promised land, and if they wanted to go through on dry ground, this was it. This was your moment to do so. If you were on the side of Moab and you wanted to get to Canaan, God's promised land, this was your moment. When the priests were holding back the water and the opportunity was open before you. And that's a picture for us of the day of grace that we're in now. God has said now is the day of salvation in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And if we want to be saved, we're not promised tomorrow. We need to take the opportunity now. We need to cross over from death to life by faith in Christ today. It's a moment that we need to seize. The day of grace is here because Christ has opened the way for us. But that way is one day going to close. As surely as the waters came pouring back down uh, the river uh, again, back down to the Dead Sea after the priests came out. And the day of grace for you and me is while God is holding open the opportunity for us to be saved. I want to say, have you taken the advantage of this moment? None of us knows when our last day on earth is going to be. So the Bible says to us, today, if you hear his voice, (laughs) do not harden your hearts. And it says to, to mix the gospel with faith in the book of Hebrews. We need to come to the Lord in faith and put our trust in what Jesus did and be saved while there is a chance. You know, now is a word the devil doesn't like. I want to tell you that. Because most people, they do hear the gospel and they say, yeah, I'll do that one day. But one of these days turns out to be, we'll just put an N on the front. (laughs) None of these days. 
They don't come. And so they miss their opportunity. Procrastination is, is the thief not only of time, but it's the thief of heaven. And if you don't come while God has given you a chance, you may never come. You know, I read about a, uh, an American, uh, what, what, sorry, a, a British colonel by the name of Colonel Rahl in the American War of Independence. It's a bit difficult telling this story because we're the bad guys in that story. <laughs> and I don't know if you know that, but we have been sometimes the people who were in the wrong. And uh, uh, Colonel Rahl was uh, leading the British troops at a place called Trent, Trenton, sorry, New Jersey. And uh, he was playing a game of cards uh, among his troops while his camp was all settled. And he was playing some cards with some men. And a man came in huffing and puffing and gave him a piece of paper. Well, he put it in his pocket and he said, I'll read that when I finish the game of cards. The game went on, you know, cleared the table, picked up their winnings. And then he pulled out his, this piece of paper. And it was an urgent warning. George Washington and his troops were coming. And he went white with horror because he knew he'd wasted the time that they needed to get ready. And they lost the battle and they died and he died with it. That's what can happen when we hear the gospel. We can put it away in our pocket and say, oh, I'll get around to that later. But God says today, now is the moment. Just as when God opened the way through the River Jordan. So I don't ask you this morning if you've not become a Christian to do so. I plead with you. I beg you to, because now may be your last chance. Spurgeon, preaching on one occasion, said how terrible it would be if this was your last chance and you threw it away. Think about that. What a terrible thing to be left in hell forever, thinking I once had a chance and I did nothing with it. I could be as happy in heaven as I am as miserable in hell right now for the rest of eternity. But I throw it away. So don't, don't throw away. Come to the Lord. Be saved while there is a chance. The third thing we see in this story is the final thing in, in chapter 4 verses 1 to 7. And that is the memorial. Because in verse 1 it says, When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, right where the priest stood, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. Now, God wanted the children of Israel to remember. He wanted them to remember this great act. And uh, even though it must have been quite a moment for them to get two million people across the, that, that, that Jordan uh, uh, on dry ground, but across to the other side with all their animals, their children. I mean, have you ever tried getting a family out of a house in a hurry? You know, <laughs> it's, a, it's an Olympic sport, you know, and you're trying to get all your stuff across and, oh, she's dropped this and, you know, and you've got to go back and you get all your stuff across. In the midst of all that going on with all the families of the children of Israel, all their animals and everything else, God says, I want you to choose 12 men. The, the Septuagint calls them honoured men because they were privileged to do this. One from each tribe and they're to go to the place where the priest stood and lift up and carry on their shoulders a stone. It'll represent their tribe, 
that they came through. By the way, the high priest had two stones on his shoulders, on stones that had the names of Israel on. There's something about that, carrying it on the shoulder, uh, like the Lord Jesus uh, carried the cross on his shoulder. They carried the 12 stones to the other side and they set up a memorial there. That's what God said he wanted them to do because he didn't want them to forget. In fact, it's debatable and this is there's this, this again and a general belief among the commentators that there were actually two lots of 12 stones because if you look down in verse 9 it says Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priest who carried the ark of the covenant had stood and they are there to this day so he set them up at the spot in the Jordan so there were two piles of 12 stones, one on the banks and one in the middle of the River Jordan. Now, why did God make that? Well, one would be so that when they had a drought, and remember, when they had a drought, that was a sign Israel was going away from God. God said in Deuteronomy 28, if you go away from me, go away into idolatry, I'm going to stop sending the rain. And that's a big deal in Israel. And uh, the rain stops coming, the water level goes down, and lo and behold, as they're standing there, what do they see poking out through the tops of the Jordan? Those 12 stones. It's just a reminder, just a reminder. Who brought you into this land in the first place? And who has the power to keep you? So you, you need to turn back to the Lord. But there was another 12 stones on the bank of the Jordan that they would have put there as a sign uh, for the children of Israel. And it was to be so that in the future, according to verse 6, when the children asked, what do these stones mean? It would be a chance for the children of Israel to retell the story and remind them of what miracle God had done for them. As it says down in verse 7, these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. And I love the fact that when John the Baptist stood on the banks of the Jordan preaching the gospel and the, the Pharisees came, he said to them, don't think you can say to yourself, we're Abraham's children. God can raise up children from Abraham from these stones. What was he talking about? The stones from the Jordan that had been put there representing the 12 tribes. And uh, it was still there in the days of Christ. So it was a lasting memorial. And God told Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, tell 12 men to make a memorial. Now, that's the same with our saviour and our salvation. The Lord Jesus told 12 men do this in remembrance of me. And this is our memorial to the saving work that the Lord did to open up the way for us to get into the Jordan. What a wonderful thing. And just as it was to be a sign to the little ones so that they'd put their faith in Christ. So this is a sign too. And God speaks through it. You know, one of the uh, things I love is church history and the stories of church history. Uh, I'm not good at church history like Alan Campbell is, but uh, I love the stories. And one of the stories I love uh, was, a, was about the time of the Wesleyan revival. And this man, you may or may not have heard of him. He's lesser known than Charles and John Wesley, but his name was Howell Harris. 
And in the 1700s, he was a mighty preacher of the gospel who led millions, probably thousands at least, to Christ in the Wesleyan revival uh, at that time. But you know how he was converted? He was converted when communion was happening in church. And there was a spiritual battle going on inside. A few Sundays before, he had been thinking about communion and thinking about what it meant, the death on the cross. And he was quite amazed at that and thought, you know, how this is a picture of what Jesus had done for us. And it really spoke to him. But this time when he was sitting in church, he was thinking about the communion again. And it was as if the devil was inside him fighting, saying, this is all a load of rubbish. There's no God. There's no God. Don't believe this. This is all rubbish. Well, Hal Harris wrote his testimony again and again and again and again. And in one of the accounts, he says this. I simply said, if there is no God, how was the communion ever invented? And why are so many wise people deceived? But immediately before the sacrament, the one capital O, who is stronger, came in. <laughs> the Lord drove the devil back and he, he, he saw the truth of the gospel by thinking about it. He said, why is this here then? It's a memorial to the truth of it. And he then, in that day, became a believer and said, oh, blessed day that I might remember and gratefully remember evermore. And so this is a sign to us today of the saving work of the Lord Jesus. And those of us who've been with us, those who've been watching on Zoom, this is not only a personal reminder for us of what the Lord's done, it's a sign to you of the great saving work of the Lord Jesus. He has opened up a way for us to come, a way for you to come. And now is the time to do so. So what a great, great picture this is in the Bible and, uh, you know, one day we're all going to stand on the banks of the River Jordan, as it were, spiritually. But some of us are going to cross over on dry ground because we know Christ is Saviour. Others of us, I'm afraid, are going to go down into the waters of death. Which are you? Have you got the Lord Jesus as your Saviour? If you haven't, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Be saved by his work alone. And you will find yourself crossing from death to life even now.